Welcome back to Blacks Academy and our second part of the February, March, 2023 monthly market mix. In this second part, we go to a little bit of a lighter subject in which we're going to take the other side. And what I mean is we're going to introduce you to the inverse Kramer ETF. What is the inverse Kramer ETF? Well, first we have to talk about the subject of the ETF, which is the, to me, enigmatic, but loved talking head, financial head, Jim Cramer. Jim Cramer has been on TV talking nonsense for as long, at least that I've been in the financial markets. And I started in 2005. I can remember his show, Mad Money. I can remember him screaming and saying, bye, 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 sell, sell, sell. And people having fun about it. And I'm thinking, this can't be financial life because me learning about the charts at the time, I only really knew about the foreign exchange markets. I didn't want any parts of stocks if this was going to be the guy that was leading people to the promised land. But be that as it may, he's a beloved and now legendary figure in financial news, if you can call it that. I, I typically don't call CNBC financial news, but that's just me. But the thing that's made Jim Cramer outside of his story that he was once homeless and he's one of these rags to riches, I made it kind of guy is the fact that he is the most consistent, ill-timed stock picker I think anybody has ever laid eyes on. And the cool part about it, he seems to be unfazed. I think maybe the paycheck helps, but he has been hilariously wrong over the years and it seems to be getting better and better. For example, if you go and look at some of the things that we have right here on screen, like his Netflix recommendation, if you time it from that January 3rd of 2022 time to what happened just weeks after that, you'll see what I mean. Same thing with Coinbase, but it really extends all the way back, at least for me to 2008, Bear Stearns at the onset of the financial crisis, he assured all of his viewers, millions of people who watched Jim to say that Bear Stearns was going to be fine. Everything was overblown. And again, weeks later, the bank was getting absorbed by JP Morgan and we were headed headlong into what was going to be the financial crisis of 2008. John Stewart, who I absolutely adored on the daily show, roasted this clown appropriately and in that roast i'll never forget the interview because he just he played back some of his you know thoughts everything that jim said publicly john stewart played it back in his comedic way and it was the second highest rating daily show at the time and it's because jim Cramer is what he is now not you know the financial world is one of those things where again everything can be bought and sold uh, there's a company called Tuttle Capital Management that has launched not one, but two electronically traded funds, ETFs, to monetize his stock picking or infamous stock picking, if you want to call it. And so if we talk to the CEO of the company, he says when Jim says he wants to buy, buy, buy a stock like he does so on the show, they're going to do the opposite. And that's what we call an inverse ETF. An ETF is like a mutual fund, but it trades like a stock. And the cool thing about them is you get exposure to all types of markets, you know, good, bad, and different. You can do commodities. You can do international markets, emerging markets, all sorts of different things, different sectors, technology, industrials, crypto through these funds, just by buying into them instead of having to go out into these markets that you may not be very familiar with. And what's more is just like you can on any one of your mobile apps, you can buy these ETFs. So this inverse ETF is one in which you can literally take advantage of Jim being wrong. Or generally speaking, if you thought a market like natural gas was going to, you know, fall instead of rise, you wouldn't buy a natural gas long ETF. You would buy one, an inverse ETF that makes money when the asset goes down. And so the asset here for SGM is Jim Cramer's bets. So the way it works is that 
they're just going to watch Mad Money or whatever he's on right now. I don't don't watch the show <laughs> anymore. They're going to watch and see what he says. And as soon as they get an opportunity, they're going to take an action. They're going to take an opinion that either goes against him, as most people probably would, or they have another ETF sort of to hedge your bets hint to, that can actually go with Jim Cramer and the financial tech meme space has been having fun with this as they should have. I mean, I, I, I had a crack at the inverse Kramer. I'm now waiting to see if they're going to do one on Nancy, Nancy Pelosi. Uh, that gets a little political, but it, you know, people always say, you know, she's one of the greatest traders of all time using her insider trading. I will say that, you know, in all fairness, she's not alone on Capitol Hill, but it would be good to see if they can actually monetize that as well. I think the financial markets would absolutely love it. And so if you're asking why total capital management would do something like this, it's because they see a demand. They see that, you know, Jim Cramer is endearing to a lot of people as, as he is annoying to others, present company included, but you can monetize that for those that love Jim. They may go to the L Jim, the long Jim ETF. And for those that don't like him, go to the short one. Either way, the company makes money and it gives us something else to talk about. But again, I can't stress it enough. And I have, again, some more examples. This hits into our, our next segment in totality that one thing about Jim good, bad, and different, no matter what you care about, he is consistent. And one of the things that I saw most consistent that gave me the biggest laugh is that you go back just a month ago and he says that in an article, he's intrigued by these top 10 performing S&P 500 stocks. Number one's Tesla. Number two is Align Technology. Number three is Catalent. Then is Warner Brothers Discovery. Meta platforms, also known as Facebook, NVIDIA, Royal Caribbean, Carnival. I'm going to skip down to Norwegian Cruise because they're all together. And then at number nine, there's this SVB Financial. He thought that was an intriguing, top performing S&P 500 stock. We're going to stop with the Jim Cramer right there because I have to tell you why that's important. And that's in our next segment. This is one of these, if you haven't been near a TV in the last 72 hours, you probably haven't heard of it, but Silicon Valley Bank is a bank that was actually founded over a poker bet in 1983, just went insolvent. It collapsed in classic bank collapse, bank run form, but it shook the markets and it brought up, again, some of the traumas that we had from just a few years ago, 15 years ago. But the story behind this, to me, as I pieced this one together, was as predictable as it was preventable. So you may be saying, well, what's Silicon Valley Bank? Silicon Valley Bank, as it says, is a bank that started out in the Silicon Valley giving loans and credit cards and banking services to startup founders to now very rich and affluent tech industry people. They were there in that middle section. I think the tech, what really counts is Silicon Valley. If you take it all the way back to its engineering route, probably started in the sixties, but in those eighties, as we started going away from the industrial world into this information driven world, and also into this merger and acquisition corporate raider, um, you know, free floating currency world that, we now know as being big finance, they were at the center of it all and being able to take risk on people that, you know, other banks wouldn't touch traditional banks wouldn't touch. It was a very endearing thing. It's something that you'll find startup founders now are still looking for that, especially if you're talking about minority startup founders are loving and looking for people to take some types of risk on them. Now, of course, you know, the startup founders in 1983 didn't really get to have that logo, but these endearing stories have come up about how many tech startup founders got their first starts from SVB really kind of tells you that this bank is really important, or I guess I could say was important in a lot of different levels, but mostly to 
the maturation and kind of burgeoning of the Silicon Valley that we know and, you know, kind of has that prestige now. You know, in terms of Wall Street banks, SVB is, you know, fairly small, but 200 billion in assets in total, that's number 16 in the entire nation. As we said, it primarily catered to the tech startup founders and wealthy investors in that space. And the fact that in just a few days, it collapsed in such a dramatic and public facing, you know, form to me, it does give a bit of 2008, but at the same time, it's really more of the same story that we've seen. I mean, FTX went under in the fall of 2022, the tech sector itself collapsed if you really want to be truthful in May, 2021, we saw a peak. We've seen a lot of things in this era. And what I've said before, I'll say again, when you start to get into times of economic distress, uncertainty, the things, the weak, the things that are shaky start showing up. The weak hands get shook out and Silicon Valley bank for all this prestige and this story. It was a weak hand. And one of the things I want to highlight as we go through the telling of this story, their leadership was laughable and their efforts to me were too little too late, but more importantly, they did not understand their risk, which would seem odd for bank because you know, banks tend to be very risk averse. The, I think what helped Silicon Valley banks, prominence over the year is the fact that they were not nearly as risk averse. Now you can be very risk minded, but also, you know, have an affinity for risk, but they were not that they were not very mindful about it. And the irony is that the market that they helped create was honestly their undoing. I'll tell a little bit more of the story, but first other than the bank going under, you say, well, who was really affected by this? Well, a lot of our tech sector, what we call unicorns, these multi-billion valuation companies like Roku, they had their money. They had a lot of their assets at this bank. And it's just like what you would expect. If you have money at a bank and the bank goes insolvent, that money goes up in smoke in the olden days. Now for those that don't know the rules, the FDIC rules, understand this. All savings accounts for FDIC insured accounts in the United States, up to $250,000 are insured by again, federal government got you. So the bank goes insolvent. You're good. The problem is this bank catered to a very particular, very affluent, very wealthy crowd where 250 was nothing. For example, Roku had 487 million in deposits at SVB. That's almost a half billion dollars is also a little bit over a quarter of his total cash. The effect of a bank going insolvent can be very disastrous. That's why we have rules in place for banking. This is one of the things I really wanted the crypto world to understand before last fall and the crypto winter really went Antarctic, but Outside of individual companies, the banking sector itself on Friday was panicky, but you see that one of the things about financial markets is that it's not all about the numbers. It's about the sentiment in the market. It's about the people who are making those decisions to buy, sell, or hold something. When they start to question, when they start to become uncertain, the numbers suddenly don't matter or they matter a lot. And in this case, numbers that didn't matter for SVB suddenly start to matter a hell of a lot. And so Signature Bank, which again is kind of like the this age's SVB for crypto financing, it was shut down as well because all we had to do was look under the table and say, well, what are the conditions that contributed to this bank's collapse? What tends to happen? And this is what spooks, spooks investors you start to find it in other places. But we have to go back a little bit. 
I'm not going all the way back to the 80s anymore, but we have to go back to really, really capture what in the world happened. And, you know, one of the one of my favorite quotes is that the price yesterday is not the price today. This to me is a classic example in finance of that very thing and how certain economic environments we take for granted. And I mean, we from the person who knows nothing about finance to these, you know, M7 MBA C-suite executives who, again, are at the pantheon of their bank. They miss the mark, too. They miss the signals. Why? Partly because of humans, also because there is a still a very herd mentality that you're either aware of and you're working against or your ego has shrouded you and you know nothing of it. You don't care nothing of it. You're the man, you're the woman, you're whoever. I tend to find that at the times of these types of blowups, you find people who are in that latter camp. And so again, this started with a bad decision that happened in a good time. The good time was 2021. If you look at their customer base, which is all these venture capital people, M and a deals, uh, everything you could think of that was going on tons of private equity, you know, venture capital, like everything was going up. Things were for sale. People were flush with cash. So the bank itself was like, well, it's a curious thing. Their customer base isn't like a traditional banking customer base because what do they have? They have lots of cash. And we always talk about it. Cash, I would say cash flow now, but cash is king, or so I could say this is cash is queen. So a lot of their guys had enough cash that they didn't know what to do with other than just put it in the bank. And this was good for startup companies because if you look at their books, they look at they have these assets on 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 the books. This looks great. But for the bank, you can't just sit there and let the money rest idly. What most banks do is they commercially lend out. Hey, go buy a house, go buy a vineyard, go buy something, you know, with, and we'll loan you some money and we'll make some interest off of that. The problem with SVB is that they needed something else. And so what they typically do and other banks do this as well, they decided to go buy some assets, not stocks because again, Oh, stocks are risky and they are, but you can buy bonds. You can buy securities assets that again are debt assets and you can get a steady cash flow from this, which again is perfect for a bank a bank that has tons of deposits on one end and they only have to pay out a little bit, which is how they were, you know, getting a lot of these people to bank with them in the first place, other than taking a risk on venture capital pursuits and, and startups. They were saying, Hey, we can offer a higher annual percent yield than our competitors. How they do that. They went and bought a bunch of long dated bonds. Now, a long dated bond now, like we just showed you on the charts in the beginning, you can get three, four or 5% on them, depending on, you know, the duration in 2021 with interest rates near zero, you could barely get 1%. So the risk is that you have to lock in what they call long dated bonds, bonds that have a maturity that is out five, in this case, 10 years. Sometimes you can even go further you can go 20 years, 30 years. But the problem with long dated bonds is that's a long time to lock up that money. And the other thing, even though bonds are supposed to be safe investments, you know, not, you know, shielded from a lot of the idiosyncratic risks or the market risks that happens with individual stocks, there is still risk to owning a bond because it is an investment at the end of the day. What is that risk? This is finance 101. Bonds are affected by interest rates or I should say changes to the interest rate. So this gets to the technical part of the story, but I'll try to take it down to where we can all take it in. So in 2021, seeing all this money coming in from all these Silicon Valley winners, they decided to go get, and you're going to love this for those that do know a little bit about the financial crisis of 2008 
They bought over $80 billion in mortgage-backed securities called MBSs. They're a type of asset-backed security, which is what is held in what's called a hold-to-maturity portfolio. There's a very specific reason as to why they're trying to hold these bonds to maturity. You don't always have to hold a bond to maturity. Uh, you can sometimes call them early, things of that nature on, on, the, on the bond. But holding to maturity to, is the easy flow. I'm going to get my rate of return you know, from the yield. The yield here is somewhere between 1.56% and 1.63%. Please keep that in mind. We're talking about holding money for a 10 plus year duration, getting a yield of 1.56%. But this was 2021. This is, you know, almost two years ago. The world has changed so much since then. But this seemingly benign, very boring, quote unquote, low risk play was one of the worst things, if not the worst thing they could have done with this money. And the reason is simple. As we said, bonds, especially these types of bonds, are sensitive to changes in interest rates. What happened in 2022, just a year after they did this, the Fed starts hiking at a pace that is faster than it had been in 40 years. What happens to the bonds? In the bond world, you have long dated bonds, you have short dated bonds, but all of them are denominated based on, again, what's their face value and their yield. The yield here on the newer bonds was so much higher than this 1.56% because the Fed was at some rate hikes, they were going up half percent, three quarters of a percent. So all the new bonds are priced better than these. And these bonds drop commensurately in value. So the more the Fed hikes, the faster the Fed hikes, the more these bonds drop in value. What typically happens over time is that you have a mean reversion of the bond price back to a, a nominal level as you reach maturity. Because, again, the market cycle, you know, they have they're cyclical. You'll come back. But in the short term, you still can go broke especially buying $80 billion worth of these MBSs. Now, one thing, again, with this hold to this HTM portfolio's hold to maturity, there's a very specific reason as to why they did that. I'm going to come back to that. But in short, as the Fed started raising these rates really quickly, this bank starts taking on asset-based losses so rapidly. There was also something else that happened too. And I'll get to that. But right now on screen, the funny thing about all of that is that this is known. SVB is publicly traded. So they have to put out their quarterly and 10K reports that show their finances. And you can see that in this very short period of time, they bought 700% more bonds than they'd had. And that ended up being a massive loss. Minus 15 billion is what it turned into. And the bank only had 11 and a half billion in positive assets. The cool thing about this, and I say cool with the quotes around it, is that banks are not required to mark losses in these hold to maturity assets. That's how they were able to justify doing what they did. They say, oh, well, this isn't mark to market, as they call it. We don't have to necessarily show this, but they had to report it. This was in plain sight of anybody who wanted to see it, anybody who was curious. But at the time when this was going on and even while we're hiking last year, nobody was really curious except for hedge fund managers, people who are looking for weaknesses in the market. These are traders. These are investors with, you know, again, astute critical thinking. So William C. Martin of Raging Capital Ventures was one of the first to kick this off. This is two months ago now, January. He knew the situation that I told you guys about last year that the tech market collapsed and in doing so took down Kathy, uh, Kathy Wood, took down a lot of your favorite beloved tech stocks. It mean reverted a lot of things, which means that these same 
tech guys that had these million dollar accounts like Roku were suddenly now needing to use that money that they had parked. These deposits now were getting used because the VC world, which had seen massive funding, almost unlimited supply of money thrown, thrown around, suddenly dried up. The VC investors became skittish. Why? Money got more expensive. So the bank had a double problem. Anytime you talk about having a problem on one or two ends, that's a form of leverage. So the this seemingly benign bond play ended up being a double, at least leverage play against the bank because their customers were withdrawing money. They were already bleeding because the bonds were down. And all they needed was just one thing to kind of set off a classic bank run. What was it? Tweets like these. And again, the customer base. What do you get when you have tech investors, uh, venture capital people? They all use social media a lot. What does that mean? Well, that means that the communication about the conditions of finance can be spread rapidly. The news now, we're so connected through social media like Twitter, which is where I found half the information on this stuff. You can find it within seconds. So as the bank's leadership was trying to make some deals to shore up the bank to get somebody, get a buyer in the news of the deposits, the news of their books got out and everything that they did became public and worked exactly the opposite way that it was intended, which again is in a shot and fraud way, very hilarious. What's more, and this gets to, to me, the recipe that you have for, you know, this type of financial collapse or company collapse is that, you know, not only did the emperor not have any clothes, he also didn't have any handlers as well. Along with your chief executive officers and your investment officers, your financial officers, banks typically have financial uh, companies in general typically have a risk officer. Well, guess what? SVV's chief risk officer was out of that place in April of 2022. She probably saw the handwriting on the wall, to be honest. But this bank operated without the position field up to the point of where it closed its doors. Again, this was during a period where the tech world, which they had survived off of for years, was unfolding, had lost more money in just a few months than they had made in their entire time. So the other part of the recipe for a collapse is to have management or leadership or structures in place that should be there that are not. They're either deficient or they're absent. This bank had both. And I'll stand up on this one because this kind of hits home in a lot of different ways. I didn't want to believe it until I started seeing it. And then I checked for myself. Their chief risk officer, the one that bounced was an MD at Deutsche Bank. In 2008, Deutsche Bank was another one of those tarp, you know, too big to fail banks that again. Couldn't handle the risk of the day because they knew the government was going to come back and bail them out. But again, you see Harvard, you see the M7s, all this other sort of stuff. Then you have the chief admin officer. He's another one. He was the CFO for Lehman Brothers Global. Lehman Brothers was the next bank in line after Bear Stearns failed in March of 2008. And it was so obvious that even me, only three years into trading, knew to go attack Lehman after Bear went under. So compounding the issues of them not seemingly being able to read the room in terms of what the economic environment was surrounding their, their bank. Also the composition or the, I guess you could say the pretty singular composition of their, their customer base. They only had one type of customer for the most part, or that one type of customer rather dominated most of their business. What they had was a bunch of single points of failure. And that includes themselves and their leadership. One of the things that, you know, you if you want to have a bad conversation with the powers that be talk about diversity in, you know, the C-suite, 
They think that that's the color of your skin. Oh, I shouldn't have to bring a black or Asian or Latin person in to the seats. We just based on the color of their skin. And that's where diversity gets lost. It's not about skin color at all. It's about not having the same insular people doing poorly at their job and then getting either promoted or lateral to another job doing the same thing. Could you imagine if this had been a Silicon African-American Valley bank? I'm not even going to, I just pause it right there. Could you just imagine what would have happened? Or if the, you know, chief risk officer was also a managing director at Deutsche Bank. Could they have gotten that job? You be the judge. But my thing, just like in a portfolio, I don't like concentration risk for a portfolio that grows over time. You may be concentrated in one area, again, like startups. You may have one type of stock or one type of asset that you're putting a lot of risk into. But as you grow and you flourish, it's your job as an investor, as a business person, trader, just a thinking human to find other ways to mitigate risk. Because one of the things that this shows you is that risk is invisible to you. True risk is invisible. There are ways to at least mitigate even the things you don't see, the things that you're not thinking about. But from a thought tank perspective, from a cultural perspective, I think the way forward in finance and a lot of other areas, including especially tech, is to start including people who are culturally diverse from what we see. And that may have some overlaps, you know, not be mutually exclusive to skin color, but it's more about being able to think differently about the same problems and come up with better solutions, not different solutions, but better. I'll get off that one for now. And unsurprisingly, the Federal Reserve has decided to step in and maybe, you know, at the back of the minds of all the C-suite people that are getting out and shuffling out of here, they probably knew, hey, the Fed is going to bail us out. Uh, we're too big to fail. Bill Ackman, another hedge fund manager, activist, quoted that, you know, maybe Silicon Valley Bank is too big to fail. But to me, the Fed coming to bail, you know, them out with $25 billion this time puts us back on quantitative easing, puts us back on the chain of we're still at the end of the day talking about physical stimulus that at some point and granted these numbers are small is still going to contribute in some way meaningfully to inflation in the economy but at a bigger higher level more philosophical point is more to the point of these banks these financial institutions can do whatever they want which I'm not saying they shouldn't have the freedom I just think that they should have also the mindset of the wherewithal to be conscious of their risks and there to be some type of consequences for those that do blow up other than the fed throwing money at it and, you know, making it go away to the point though, for those that have deposits in the banks, this is a good thing because as the people in crypto space will understand the difference. Now, this is what a regulated blow up looks like. Something happens on one day, a weekend goes by and on Monday, those with deposits at SVB will be able to access their funds. How much? We're not sure. But again, you have an orderly change of a disaster. That's what regulation does. Is regulation perfect? Absolutely not. But is regulation needed in a financial system? No matter what the system is? Absolutely. But now we could talk and I have talked enough about SVB, I think, We'll probably come back to it maybe as some more information rolls out. But the takeaways for you as investors and traders that are not at these banks, you have to understand that risk, no matter who you are, is, invingle, is, is, is invisible and it's commingled. And what do I mean by commingled? We often come say, well, what happened? And we're looking for one single thing. Oh, well, 
you know, because they took on these ABS bonds and they blew up, that's the one thing. No, risk is a cumulative composite of things that have to happen. There's typically small decisions that are made and the cumulative effect of those small decisions add up to something that is can blow up to the positive or like here can blow up and be disastrous. The other thing that you have to think about too, as a trader and also in a, as an investor, good times, and this is just in life too. Good times are often followed by equally, if not greater bad times. So you just had the best trading day of your life. You made something, watch out. I've seen it in myself. I've seen it in my traders on my desk. I've seen it in my students. Your best times, be careful. Your mind controls a lot of what you're thinking in the background, such as your best times can be followed by some of the worst. Watch a team that wins the Super Bowl or, you know, in basketball wins the championship. Watch what they do the year after. It is so hard to repeat in sports, not only just because of competition, but also because the mindset has to be there. The same thing goes for investing and trading. A lot of people, you couldn't tell them a thing in 2020, 2021. They don't even have those assets in 2023. They lost them all last year. They're back working. They're back memes. You know, they got memes of got guys that talking about where Lambo uh, you're there at the drive throughs now. And they might not be at the drive throughs very long because I just saw a story about McDonald's having a automated window, like an automated McDonald's. That's a slight digression, but it's on the plate. The next thing, and it's related, prepare, don't panic. This sweet, sweet, sweet group of leaders panicked. Why? They made, a, they made a bad decision. It was erupting. It was one of those, oh, you know what moments. When that hits you, you're going to make mistakes. Even carefully planned out mistakes that are reactionary tend to not work well. In fact, they will work equally in the opposite direction against you. And lastly, diversity is good in portfolios. This is why I talk about diversification. It's also good in business. The best businesses understand the concentrated risk and work very hard to dilute those risks, to mitigate those risks. SVB was an example of concentrated risk that compounded on itself by not only did they not show that they didn't understand the risk, they didn't even understand where it could have come from. Because if they did, that just means that they, that's gross negligence or they just weren't that smart. But I assume that, again, that these are smart people, but smart is not what makes you successful as an investor, as a business person. If that was the case, I would be on the top 10 list, but diversification is for the times when you're not smart or even better when you think you're smart and you're not in business, different streams, connected businesses. That's the way your customer base. If you look at the successful commercial banks, they have all sorts of customers in all different arrangements, very complex. The reasons complex is to minimize the risk of damage of one single customer. Sometimes it's as easy as a customer going away saying, I don't want, I don't want to deal with you anymore. I got a better deal down the street or just, we don't like you. Or it could be a customer behaving poorly or a customer just having a bad time. There's no point in transferring all of the benefit and all of the risk if you don't have to. But I think you arrive at that when you again have diversity in your thought process. You don't have to be a business leader to think differently. You just have to change your mindset. But there's no way like these businesses like SVB to change your mindset. If the same people are in the same rooms making the same decisions. One of the things I did when I first started my company was I was an engineer. So I was surrounded by all engineers. We didn't really go anywhere, but now engineers, data scientists, English majors, <laughs> people with no necessary college degrees, but a ton of experience all contribute to the composite knowledge base 
They can ask questions of why, when, where, how, what in a way that hasn't been asked before, or at least in a way that's communicated differently and we can respond differently. The highest aims of finance should be to serve in many different ways, the entireties of the communities in the United States or wherever the you know financial center is being. It's cool to be the tech startup bank. But again, this is a tech startup area where less than 4% of the tech world is minorities. Just something to think about as we conclude on this SVB situation. I'm sure there's going to be more shakeouts and we'll cover that maybe in a separate time. But for right now, I think we've covered enough to know we have those lessons and I want to move on to something a little bit different. And by different, I mean a chart that I already posted. (laughs) So we talked about this, you know, the Baltic dry is a measure of, you know, the cost of ship bulk commodities and is used as a gauge of how supply chains are going or such that we thought. Once I got some new information in, once I started thinking about this in a different way, I had some more thoughts to come in about, well, if it's not a measure, the Baltic dry index is not a measure of the entirety of the shipping lanes and supply chain world. What is it good for? Well, the cool thing about being an investor and a trader so long is looking for opportunities. You learn to look for different things, disparate information, things that don't seem to go together that do go together. And I found something here that I'm going to share now to show kind of along the lines of where we're going to be going for the next monthly market mix. Often in, in investing, you don't find exactly what you're looking for if you're being thorough, but be not dismayed. You know, even though I was looking at the Baltic dry index to tell me more about supply chains worldwide and by extension, more about what the supply chain situation might look like in the U S but taking it a step further and reading, I found out that the Baltic dry index itself, it, even though it was the same name, same thing I knew from yesteryear, it had morphed in actually what, it was indicating. And as I read, I found out that the Baltic dry index was more an indicator of China's economy than the world at large. And that was because of a certain type of large ship called a Cape size. I'd never heard of Cape size before reading, but that's what, you know, really digging does. And Cape sizes are these large ships. They're about, you know, 300 meters long, which is massive. 180,000 dead weight tons of capacity and you know 40% of the BDI is weighted to these types of ships and most of the rates that are measured by this BDI are basically on these iron exports that go from Brazil to China I didn't know any of this stuff but in finding it out all I had to do was rearrange what I was originally thinking with new information and I'm saying this all to say that we're in the part where I'm saying this is not investing advice. I'm not telling you to go out and, you know, play the Baltic dry index, but I'm telling you that the mindset of coming into a question, you know, with what you already had as selling information, but being updated with new information is what investors do. And now with that information, I go, Hey, well, this is something different than what I was thinking but it's still along the same mindset of what I was going for, which is what to play, what type of investment might I find? And from this, I actually found out that there was yet another ETF. I tell you, there's ETFs for just about everything called B-Dry. And B-Dry is an ETF that tracks the Baltic Dry Index. So an index you typically can't trade outright, like an index, but you know, just like they make index funds, you can actually trade the fund and a lot of index funds or ETFs. The Baltic dry index is no exception except for it's not a financial. It's a a measure of shipping lane activity, but take a look at it. It looks a lot like the Baltic dry index that I had up at the beginning of the monthly market mix. And in fact, I can put the overlay on here as well. And you can see 
you have the Baltic dry index in orange and you have B dry in blue. They're correlated, but you can see that the index itself is actually a lot more volatile, but because they're correlated and they move slightly differently as an astute technical trader, I see some opportunities here by reading either the indicator and playing off of that, or you can kind of get some information from the actual ETF itself. But I'll do some more digging. And again, this is not a recommendation. I don't do that sort of thing, but I'm showing you that this is something that I'm taking interest in and it's divergent from where I first started. The same thing on the last slide was there was also two companies mentioned that have exposure to this type of shipping and things. And so they come up of interest as well. And they were star holdings and golden ocean. I can put each one of them on individually. And I think I will we'll go with golden ocean, which is the first one. It's a little different, but both of these companies are European based. And the reason why I bring this up again is because I showed you one of the European indices that was doing better than the S and P, which is the, you know, U S stock market. Here's another way that we ideate and then integrate back to where we were. This is why I also tell you ladies and gents to take notes while we do these monthly market mixes, trying to put you on to some things that I'm thinking about and hopefully that you will return the favor by paying it forward to somebody else as you learn. But golden ocean here has its own, you know, exposure to shipping. I see a different picture here and a different type of play here than I did in, you know, the first one, which was the Baltic dry index and it's ETF. The same thing could be said if I bring on, you know, star holdings, these two correlate very well. And I see a similar picture, but still the same thing here. I'm not really going to necessarily tell you what it is. We'll talk about this a little bit more on the blacks Academy discord for members only, but there is a play here and, basic going back to the Baltic dry index, you can see the correlation here, but because these are European countries, there's going to be some idiosyncrasies. There's going to be some little quirks about this. That's going to be different in both. And one thing I do see is that both of these are declining slightly, but the Baltic dry index itself in this ETF tracker are both going up. That tells me even more information that I have to deep dive in so that I can get a more of a feel for this. But once getting, you get a feel for a different type of market, it often starts with asking a good question and following up on it. To me, this is far more important than saying, oh, well, go invest in this or go invest in, in that. Because a certain stock or a certain industry, you may know and love everything about it, but just like with SVB, conditions will change. Are you able to uh, change with the conditions? Are you able to adapt? Good investors and definitely good traders are able to do this. It often starts with a mindset shift. And just like I knew about the Baltic dry index, now knowing that it's something different lets me into a whole new world that I didn't even know existed until now. Now rounding this out again, this is more of the original content before SVB broke, but I still think that it's very germane to what we're talking about. And I call this OPP as in other people's problems. And I also say, don't be this guy. And a lot of people are quote unquote, this guy. And what I mean is this is somebody who doesn't understand risk management. People throw the word around a lot. If you talk to new traders, they're going to say, Oh, I'm, managing my risk, but most often they're not. The story here is of a man who accidentally threw away his computer, which had a lot of Bitcoin on it. He had 7,500 Bitcoin and he was dead set on getting it back as you could imagine why. Well, the problem here was he didn't really do a risk assessment. All he was concerned was, was the gain. He knew that he had lost something and that something was worth something and he was willing to get it back no matter what. But after paying excavators, labor, city permits, and to dig up all the landfill to find his computer, he spent two and a half million dollars. Well, that's pretty cool. You're still doing the math, I guess. But then he had a professional data forensic team to, you know, spend some time to recover his lost crypto wallet and that cost him another 400 K. So again, the dude's 
clearly doing well, but when he got what he was looking for, it wasn't exactly what he thought it was. And this is such the case. It's not just in Bitcoin. It's not just a, this isn't a crypto thing. This is a human thing. Turns out that his wallet wasn't filled with Bitcoin, but it was actually Bitcoin cash, which will go, of course was a fork of Bitcoin and only worth a fraction. So he's now $1.6 million in the hole to cover the cost of the loan that he took out on a belief that he had Bitcoin. So again, this happens a lot of times. You have to come from a really informed practice perspective. And I say that to say that you really need to spend some time understanding what you think you know. Just like with me with the Baltic Dry Index, if you had asked me before I read what I read, I would have regurgitated some stuff from the past. It was close, but it was not quite. And there are few worlds in which being close but not quite can cost you as much as in investing. That's whether you're in, you're a speculator, a day trader, or in it for the long haul. Making minute mistakes and not knowing that they're mistakes can cost you a lot. And that's why I say good decisions, they don't just happen. It's a cumulative sum of practicing making good decisions, practicing thinking, rethinking, and checking your work. Some of the stuff you learn in kindergarten, really. But this is why we have Blacks Academy and we teach investors at all levels how to do this. Same thing, you know, on the same other, you know, other people's problems. Don't be this person either. I read a story about a family in China that took in what the rural China. And I don't know what that says about rural China or this this story or whatever, but they took in an animal that they thought was a dog. Uh, But after two years, it had a voracious appetite, was eating everything in sight, and it wouldn't stop growing. It had gone from something very small to now it was almost 200 pounds. Well, turns out that what they thought was a dog was a bear. And I say that in tongue in cheeks, but oftentimes, again, investors, we go after these things we've heard as a sure bet, or my friend told me this, or it seems like it's going to be the thing that changed the world. With time, it turns into something else. So, Again, when information changes, and I'm sure over the two year period of time, this family could substantially see that the thing that they thought was a dog was not a dog, but you have to be mindful about it. You have to be able to change your own mind, which is easier said than done. If you're old enough to listen to this podcast, you know that changing your mind as an adult is a labor until you get used to doing so. But as investors and definitely as traders, If you cannot change your mind, you will not change your future. You will not change your world. We talk about it. We learn about it. And we learn how to at Black's Academy. So as we wrap up this entire second segment, I hope that you actually learn something. And I hope you have enough to move forward and make good decisions. If not, you know where we are. Black's Academy. Come visit us. Actually come become a member. It will probably be one of the best decisions that you'll make. Well, until next time, thanks so much. For more information about our trading and investing courses, visit www.blacks.academy. That's B-L-A-X-E dot academy.